Good evening, LCM. Tonight is Thursday, August 31st, 2023. Saints, there's a lot to look forward to as we close out August and step, step into September. Elder Eric and Pastor Massey will be heading to Italy to continue establishing ministry in the Balkan Bow. I don't know about you, but the vision of the Balkan Bow is becoming more and more of a reality than ever before. I want to read Habakkuk 2, 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. You can see the excitement that's happening in our body and in the One Association churches at large. There are good things on the horizon. Vision is coming to pass, and we get to benefit in the, pro, the kingdom advancing for God's kingdom. That's not all. We have the One Association in less than two months. Come on. Man, can you all say that's exciting? Speaking of exciting, were you all blessed by Sunday's message, What is a Family? We were too. Pastor Wade and Pastor Matt taught us that God gives family their identities, that everything we receive from God is for us and for our families, to direct them to reflect the fullness of the image of God after we have been reflecting the fullness of the image of God. Then they served up a healthy dose of 16 examples of who God is. Did that evoke a desperation just to know him a little more? God, it did me. I mean, every bit of the fullness of who he is. And remember, it is a lifelong pursuit. Then we entered Colossians 2.8. So turn with us to Colossians 2.8 and say, Anointed Family. That's the title of tonight's message. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. From Colossians 2, we learn that God is. And because God is, Jesus is. And because Jesus is, you are. And because you are, that is who your family is. The fullness of the deity of God dwells in Christ and you have been given that same fullness. Jesus is the proof of God's character made real, made physical in a human body where we could see his example and then we could know it's possible for me too. Of course, we learn that there's factors that hinder that fullness, but thanks be to God that his holy hands are cutting away with skillful circumcision the flesh of our body so we can reflect that character more. Of course, 
We're not some super apostles here to preach the most amazing sermons and exegete the most difficult passages. Although those are great things to do. Tonight, we're going to speak very practical ways that we can take off of our flesh and put on Christ tonight. That leads us into John 5. So let's turn to John 5, starting in 19. Amen. It says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Just like Jesus, we are looking to our head and doing what we see him doing. As we clothe ourselves in the fullness of God's character, our actions model to our family that they will do this as well. Our sons, our daughters, our wives, our homes will learn to walk as an anointed family in the fullness of God's image. We then have this visual. God is, Jesus is, I am, and so my family is. That's going to be important tonight. It's good to be a man. It's even better to be an anointed man. Do you know what's better than that, church, to be an anointed man? To have an anointed family. We walk through the circumcision process in our lives on Sunday, and what we want to focus on tonight is the clothing of Christ like character that is to put on afterwards. We are anointed men of action who stand up and lead our families. So can I get an amen, anyone? Amen. Let's turn to Romans 13 to begin our action steps tonight. Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 12. Anointed family. Come on, say anointed family. We're going to wake up tonight, right? Oh, worship was amazing. We're having a wonderful time together. We're experiencing such peace and unity like we've never experienced before. And tonight, we're going we're gonna to learn something and grow. Amen? All right. Verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's skip to verse 14. But put on... The Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Yes, it's true. It's true, guys. We've had to circumcise our hearts this week. Yes, it's true. You've had to circumcise your hearts this week. But you know what? We, we're casting off darkness. Even more importantly than casting off darkness, we are putting on Christ. Putting on Christ enables us to make no provision for the flesh. Putting on Christ ensures that we do not gratify our fleshly desires. Remember how the anointed man must say no to ungodliness? Well, in order to actually say no, we have to replace ungodliness with something. If not, we're only exchanging one form of ungodliness for another. That's not, our, that's not our aim tonight, amen? Our aim tonight is to put on Christ. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 28. It's the anointed man, when you, anointed family, 
when you get there. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul says the thief must no longer steal. That's a good start, but the thief has to turn and do something better. He has to put on Christ by using his hands for honest work. It's not enough to simply say no. To actually say no, you have to say yes to something else. How important is that, church, that we don't just simply say no to one thing, but we actually look at what is the right thing for me to do. This is what we're going to be speaking about tonight, and more than just us doing it in our own lives, but pouring this into our wives and our children. So this is, this is our aim tonight. Ephesians 4.28, if you want to turn there and say anointed family when you get there. Romans 13.14, I mean. I'm going to read it in the NIV today. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. We become clothed with Christ when we put off our fleshly deeds, and we put on the deeds of Christ. As we begin to live like Christ, we are clothed with him, and he covers us. His desires become our desires. His thoughts become our thoughts. His ways become our ways. Becoming clothed with Christ is emulating his way of life. Remember this, guys. As God is, Jesus is. As Jesus is, man becomes Whatever man becomes, his family becomes also. Men, 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 raise your hand. Men, are you a man? Are you an anointed man? Oh, man, you are anointed men in this house. In Genesis 2, 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. As a man takes his wife to start a family... They're no longer seen as two. But instead, the wife becomes part of his flesh. A husband is no longer able to live for himself. Now he is attached to his wife. She is attached to him. They are one. Once, at one time, long time ago, I was single. Before you married men, you were single. You were once your own flesh, but Christ redeemed you. He set you apart as holy, and he made you a part of his body. He made you a part of his body. Everything a biblical man is supposed to do for his wife is reflected by Christ towards his body. If Jesus did it for you, what are you supposed to do? If Jesus made you holy, if Jesus made you a part of his flesh, what are you supposed to turn and do to your family? If a man is clothed with Christ, what is his wife clothed with? Well, let's find out. Let's go to 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women 
who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Do you see how it's very precious in God's sight when a woman is adorning herself in this way? This gentleness and quiet spirit, the submission to her husband, to her king. Holy women adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. A good wife reflects her husband. Can I hear amen, wives? That's right. She takes on his attitudes. She shares his vision. She follows his lead. A godly man has a godly family because they become what he is. A wife is clothed with her husband's holiness. She becomes set apart for the Lord by her husband's leadership. This is a huge responsibility for us. And you have to put on Christ. You have been made like him. He has created you for this task and he is giving you the ability to lead. And there is one indispensable thing every husband must have in order to lead his family. It's vision. Let's turn to Proverbs 29, verse 18. And we're going to talk about vision. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Saints, casting vision is the key. Can I tell you, these are things I'm working on this week in my family and in my life. God is opening me up to prophecies from years ago that he is bringing birth back to in my life. Things that I maybe didn't think about over the past few years, maybe from time to time. He's revitalizing these things in my heart and my life. And what I'm doing is I'm working on passing them on to my wife. See, what we can't do is I don't want to pass over the prophecy that came during worship today. There are many promises that God has given to each person in this room of, of nations, of visions, of hopes of the future. And a lot of what's happening in this room and in our lives is that those visions are dying. And what that can do is produce a hopelessness. But we have a king that we can put our hope in each and every day and say, no, I am aiming towards resurrection life. And what that can cause is to have hope in the fact that no, God is going to do what he said he will do in my life. And he'll do it in my family's. While we're being completely obedient to God's will in our lives right now, being fully focused on the men that he surrounded us with, when we have vision, we have a marker to aim at each and every day. Our direction is set by that vision and keeps our steps in line. We become focused on a target and attaining the vision. Church, it's important to get vision and it's important to pour it into our family. Nothing else is going to get in the way or pull us aside when the vision is maintained and kept or guarded with vigilance. Church, waywardness is not an option. We are the direction for our families, and we must set the vision for our families so that we stay on the right path. This is how our families reflect our king. Jesus cast vision for his disciples that he received from the Father in John 4. In John 4, 32, which I will now read, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus never lost sight of what his goal was from the beginning. He was constantly kingdom-focused. There was never a moment 
where his eyes became drifting away from the vision. He always was on purpose. He did everything on purpose. If Jesus did it, what does that mean you can do? You can do it too. You can do it too. He maintained the course and guarded the vision from his father by keeping to the task of accomplishing that vision. But he didn't just keep it to himself. He never stopped doing the will of the Father. He kept bringing his disciples back to the kingdom steps of bringing in the harvest, of saving souls. He kept bringing his disciples back and saying, hey, you're drifting off from the vision. Come back. Look, that's not what we do as a family. This is what we do. Look, I I understand what you think is important right now is food. That's not what's important right now. What's important is to do the will of my father right now. And he fed his disciples with his vision. He led his disciples with vision and with purpose. He gave them clear expectations. This is what I want you to do. But it wasn't just a bunch of tasks. With vision, all of the disciples' tasks then have meaning. They have purpose because he has vision first and then task second. I'm sending you out to do something, but I'm sending you out with a purpose. I'm sending you out with a vision. Nothing is menial or without purpose because Jesus takes the time to share the vision he received from his Father so that the disciples are able to not just accomplish the task, but receive a purpose. Come on. Yeah, a long, long time ago when I was teaching, we, uh, it was at this adventure park. We were uh, outdoor adventure ed. And so what we did as a task is we set somebody in a field, and they fixed their eyes on a wayward point. And then we had them close their eyes and see what would happen if they would get to that, that point. It never happened. It never happened because the vision was gone. We start to sway over anywhere, any which way you want to think of. Nothing is there to keep our eyes back on what is actually downrange, what is actually important, what is actually what we set our eyes on, what we started from the very beginning. We, if we lose that, we don't know where to go. But thank God that each and every one of us in here has vision. Amen? We all have something that is being revived in us that we can set our eyes back and get on course. That's what we're talking about. In one of Leonard Ravenhill's books, Why Revival Tarries, Ravenhill reflects on a quote by George Deacon that puts this process into a clear perspective. A vision without a task makes a visionary. A task without a vision is drudgery. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. A task without a vision is drudgery. But a vision with a task makes a missionary. As leaders, it's our job to not just tell people what to do. It is our job to receive vision from the Father for our families and inspire them with purpose. We are about to have some practical steps with things we can do to put off holiness and unholiness and to put on Christ for our families. But without vision, the right actions can become drudgery. They can become checklists that we go through. But we're LCM. 
We are full of anointed men that are clothed with Christ. We have no desire to bore you with a checklist of things you could do or be doing. We want to inspire you to catch the vision Christ has prepared for each and every one of you. And once you catch that vision, you will be compelled to action. Let's turn to 1 Peter 1, and we're going to start in verse 13. Say anointed family when you get there. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Church, you are free in this room. You are free to put on Christ. It is for freedom that he has set you free. And you're no longer slaves to a list of rules that you have to follow. No, we will not do it. God is holy. His son is holy. And you are to be holy like him. And your family is to be holy like you. You are free to sacrifice without regret. You are free to do the Lord's will. You are free to lead your families. You are free to be holy as he is holy. And you are free to make your family holy. Church, this is the attitude that we must take, that he has redeemed us and set us free to be free men, to live our lives here in this world in reverent fear to him, to live out our lives as exiles and strangers in this world like the men in Hebrews 11. We must have this kind of a faith. You are free to sacrifice. Sorry, we want to go over some ways that we can put off the old man and become clothed with Christ. How can we clothe our families with Christ? How can we clothe our families with Christ? Remember, we, we went through a list of things. We're not going to go through all 16 items. But we went through a list of things on Sunday of who God is and what he is. And the Lord, our God, is a shepherd. He's your shepherd. Men of God, your father is your shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, and you are created in his image. And Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord was the one who shepherded the life of David. The Lord led David to Goliath. He led him to the cave of Adullam. He led him through both difficulty and victory. Every step of the way, the Lord continued to watch over David. So David, watching the Lord in front of him, lead him, David became like him. It's not enough that David was shepherded by God. That's great. It's amazing. God led you. He led you here into this house. But you can't just sit here, right? You have to become who God is to you. You have to do for others what he's done for you. So David, with a heart after the Lord, became like him and became a shepherd too. Yeah, he, he watched sheep. Of course, he watched sheep. But that was training grounds for the real shepherding that he did. He built men into better men. He raised up a son who brought incredible wealth to his nation. He was a shepherd, but he wasn't a shepherd because 
Jesse was a shepherd. He was a shepherd because his God was a shepherd. And he became like his God. It should be our desire. And it, is it your desire to be like the Lord? Yes. It's your desire to be like the Lord. We know that. Or you wouldn't be here on a Thursday night, right? It's our desire to be like him. So if the Lord is a shepherd, what are you? Shepherd. What are you? Shepherd. You're a shepherd. You're to be a shepherd for your family just like God is for you. So we have to take off. We have to take off some clothes. We have to take off. We have to cut off some things with circumcision. First, we must put off our selfishness. Selfishness is not in God's character. Is that a surprise to anyone? No. It's not a surprise. So you know what we must do? We must cut it off so that we can become like our Lord. We can't hold on to both things at once, right? Put it off so you can become like our shepherd. We want to clothe you tonight. We, want, we don't want to leave you in despair. So John 10, 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what we're putting on. We're becoming shepherds like our great shepherd. It's not enough to just say, stop being selfish. It's not. We're going to pick up and put on that robe of self-sacrifice. We're going to become more like our shepherd by doing the things that he did. And what Jesus did was lay down his life. So some action, right? What practically will we do? Meet up with your wives about the state of the home during the day immediately when you get home from work. practical step. Because what do, we, what do we naturally want to do? We think of a thousand things on our commute back home of things we have to get to do right away. But what is the most important? Where's our vision? It's for our family. So when we set that in right order, we get things right with our family. Being so self-focused means that I'm focused on what I have to do for the day, but putting on Christ means that taking the time to set vision for my family. I get to inquire what has happened and set the direction for what is coming next. We don't have to wait for something bad to happen to lead our wives. We get to be out in front of them and be ridiculously responsible for what comes out of our homes. This sets safeguards and sweet boundaries. Psalm 139, verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. The good shepherd sets clear boundaries for us so we can flourish in the field he has given us. You taking the daily step to set up boundaries and protection for your wives only produces life. Only produces life. The power of life and death is in the tongue, and those who choose it will eat its fruit. Straight out of our marriage teaching. You have the power to choose which one you want to do. Whether you're saying something or not, your actions produce more than your, your verbiage. So choosing life over death is producing life. I must run through my child's day with them. Taking account, keeping care of the flock that's under my control. Why stop at our wives? You are masters of your whole house and everything in it. Masters of your domain. Dominion. 
The Lord has placed you in a garden to work it. So to produce fruit in our whole family, we also carefully inspect our children. We speak life into them. We set the vision for them as well. My family will be ones who shepherd what has been given to them. Shepherding is a family business. Man, that's good. It's a family business. So, <laughs> and business is good. So it's in the best interest of the master to know how the workers are doing. Our father is the God who is more than enough. Genesis 17, verse 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before me and blameless. See, he was the one that sustained Abram. At every turn, Abraham had everything he needed. He set out in faith that, the God, that God is always more than enough. Reflecting on this this week, looking at this passage and realizing that our king, our God is more than enough, should build a hope and a confidence that we as men are more than enough in our home, that we are more than enough in our workplaces, that we are more than enough in any circumstance that God puts us in. I must cut off faithlessly thinking that I don't have enough. This faithless thinking of, well, if I stay up this late, Perhaps I uh, won't have the energy or capacity to take care of my customers tomorrow. The faithless thoughts that say, well, if I take the time to pour into my wife, maybe I won't get the things I need. These kind of things must be cut away. We walk through moments where our faith is tested. And I'm taking off the thinking that says I can't because I don't have enough. God's character means that we are never at a disadvantage. God's character means that we are never at a disadvantage, church. John 4, verse 6 and 7, and I'm going to read 31 and 32. It says, God's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food that you do not know anything about. Jesus was tired from walking all day. He was worn out and hungry and thirsty. In the natural, he didn't have anything to give. But his father is always more than enough. Since he is united with his father, he never lacks anything good. Never lacks anything that's good. Church, can I tell you this week, I've gotten less sleep than I think I've ever gotten in my life. Yet the Lord is sustaining me every day of my life. I'm staying up late nights to speak to my wife and to pour into her. I'm staying up late nights with my brothers to get into the word with them. And God is sustaining me every single day. It has been a blessing. He is more than enough in my life, and he is more than enough in your life. We are going to put our trust in the Lord who will give us all that we need because he has. If your father is the God who is more than enough, what does that mean about you? Can I tell you this week, I thought I didn't have enough. I thought I didn't have enough time. I thought I didn't have enough money. I thought, I, I thought the circumstances were all wrong. I, I fell into a little bit of despair. And then you know what? About an hour later, my wife fell into despair for something completely separate. You know, you know why? Because she's reflecting me because she's a good wife. If I'm the problem... 
You know what's beautiful? I'm the answer. Oh, the, the problem is not that I don't have enough. The, pro- the problem is not that it's too hot outside. The problem is not that my air conditioner doesn't work. That's stupid. But if I'm the problem, I can be the solution. If I am clothed with Christ, who is more than enough, then I have more than enough. So you know what I did? I put off those clothes. I put on Christ. And then I clothed my wife with confidence that she can. And she rose up and was blessed by it. This isn't rocket science. Look. Yeah. How do we put on clothes of the one who is more than enough? We give of ourselves and trust that our Father will supply what we need. Oh, I don't know if I can. You know, I'm kind of compromised right now because I just messed up in this area. Well, yeah, you messed up in the same area because you were leading your wife. So get right with the Lord, and then you can be right with him and make her right. You see how this works? This practically looks like pushing through late nights, having intentional, meaningful conversations with your family, even in your lack, even when you feel like you aren't enough. You do it anyway because you're trusting that your Lord is enough and you're clothed with Him. Especially when you're tired, you feel like you don't have anything left to give. It's those moments where you need him. It's those moments where he's waiting to clothe you. It's those moments where we need something to happen and the supernatural intercedes. We don't see the supernatural without need, but our Lord is more than enough. We're going to put our trust in the Lord who will give me all that I need because he has God is also the judge of all. Genesis 18, 25. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it that from you. You shall not judge. You shall not, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. He is the judge of all the earth. All his judgments are right. And all his judgments are just. Everything he does is right, holy, and perfect. But in our lives, we have these these fearful decisions that we have to make. Decisions that we have to make for our families that need to be cut away. The fearfulness that you can't make that right decision. There are too many times I've made a decision based on my flesh I might have even shared a scripture when I did it. But we are no longer bound to the flesh. The skillful hands of our king are cutting that away. We are taking off those grave clothes. And we are putting on what John 5, verse 30 says. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus did not judge on his own, and neither do we. He did not make his decisions out of the fleshly mind. Instead, he listened to the Father 
and repeated what his father said. I can put on just judgments, just like Christ. And all the decisions that need to be made in a household, we can make just judgments, just like Christ. The confidence we have in who God is to judge, who Christ is to judge, is who we are to judge. If Jesus didn't make decisions on his own, how much more should we not make judgments on our own? How can you know the Father's opinion? How can you make your decisions like Jesus? Well, it's not rocket science. You can know the will of God by engaging with his word. Is the word the first place you go to make your decisions? Or when something happens, is it what you stand on? You can ignore your emotions and say, what does the word say about this? I know, I can know the will of the Father through the word, and I must apply the word to the decisions that are made in my home. I must apply the word to the discipline in my family. My family will be ones that are just in their judgments because of this. They will know the will of the Father because of this, and they will apply the word to their lives. We all know we are supposed to be making decisions based on the word, but we are coming into the realization that we are absolutely able to because we are clothed with Christ. If Jesus makes judgments based on his Father's judgments, so can we, church. Look, if Jesus makes judgments, not on his own, can't you do it as well? Oh, man, we don't have to rely on ourselves anymore. The Lord is freeing us to do his will. He's freeing us. He's giving us the revelation that we need to be able to walk and step into his character. He is the everlasting God. In Genesis 21, 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord the everlasting God. He is a God that is everlasting. He's a God that does not end. Abraham planted a tree as a physical representation of God's everlasting nature, but he, he planted it not for himself. He planted it so the generations could see. That's what we have to do with our lives. We have to build something that the generations can see. Abraham outwardly expressed his revelation of the Lord for his family so they could possess that revelation. We're going to put off indifference. I'm not going to be the progressive dad that lets his family find God on their own. Boo. I'm going to be the proactive leader that is Christ in declaring the everlasting God for my generations. Let's turn to Mark 6, verse 34. We are becoming like Christ because we're doing the things that he did because he's empowered us to do them. Mark 6:34 When he went ashore he saw a great crowd and he he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things Jesus sees the crowd and he sees that they are hopeless and without a shepherd and he wants to do something for them so he's moved to action out of his compassion for them out of his love for them 
But he doesn't just keep it to himself. In verse 37, but he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus had compassion on the people. But Jesus had a vision for his disciples to become like him. He wouldn't be indifferent he wouldn't just let his disciples go along to get along and hopefully one day they'll get it. He put them in situations that were uncomfortable, but called them up to be like him. Husbands, if you have vision for your family, you can call your wife up and say, I have vision for you. This is your purpose. This is what we are called to do as a family. We're not going to do that. We're going to do this. And even though it's difficult, because there's vision, she's able to follow and do it. You can call your children up higher and call them to do what you can do. Because you've had vision for them, you've poured into them, and you're saying, no, this is what daddy is. Now you be like me. He inspired them to act in the same compassion that he had. God is the everlasting God. God is the everlasting God, and he ensures that the next generation can carry on the work of the previous generation. If we are to make the next generation as capable as us, at the minimum, the baseline, like when they're 12, getting them to do what we can do, we have to call them up and to be like me and set an example for them so that they can follow us. I must put on diligence in the discipleship of my family. Come on. Our actionable steps we take in this. We must give them something to eat. Do you guys remember that, that, that sermon from Nick and Lindy? Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. One of the most moving ones, and, and for all of us who we were uh, at that time opening up our homes and getting ready to serve and bring people in at any hour of the day. What about instead of bringing people in, we already have the people in our home to give them something to eat? We have them right there sitting in our homes, our wives and our children, our brothers. We have them there already. What about the times when my son wants to stay up late until 12 or 1 in the morning because he's desiring so much to be fed by the word? That's what I want to do. I want to feed that. I want to kindle that. I want to grow that inside of him. That's going to last generations. We share the revelation that we receive with the word. The word is not just for us. It is for our sons. It is for our wives. It's for our families. The very thing, men, that you receive on a daily basis from the word, the transference needs to be to your family. Needs to be. I know we know that, ethereally, but our practical application must start to happen. This is how we grow. This is how we become an anointed family. We share the revelation of our mezuzah. Who, Caleb said, who I am, I need to tell my sons. I need to show my sons because who I am, that's who they are. That is who they're going to be. 
And a piece of that is going to follow them to the generations. They'll have a mezuzah of their own. They'll have something that God puts inside of them, but they'll have a piece of me still. And I need them to know exactly what that is because they are who I am. They are me. They are the anointed family. Sharing the banner to the generations, the entire family banner. I would challenge you, when's the last time you went over that with your family? challenging myself with that right now. But how important it is for them to see the actual practical steps of what the core of family is supposed to be. Who we are. How we fight. How we have a promise that God's with us. How we, we do the work because that's what we're called to. We stand up and speak. We aid in advance. We have constant war but supernatural victory when we follow in God's plan. Imagine the confidence of my sons growing when they have that revelation, that vision before them every day. It's invaluable. Nothing will stop us. Nothing will stop you guys. We are the anointed family. We need to call them out to share what they are receiving from the word. We're teaching them how we do it. Now we call them higher with that. 2 Corinthians 8, 11, and 12. We're not going to read the entire thing. Oh, it's already there. We'll read the entire thing. And they fast back there. Was it Miss Bethany? No? All right. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It's one of my favorite scriptures. John Wooden has a really, quote, a really awesome quote. It says, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. And what you can do is lead your family. You are the anointed man. And you have an anointed family. My family would take these things even further. My family will pass this to their generations. Because I'm picking up the clothing of Christ and I'm putting it on. We are putting it on. Putting on his diligence. I'm putting on his character that multiplies more of what he is. My family will feed the hungry and the needy because I am going to show them how. They will take on the character of God as I make them into who I am. The Most High God, Genesis 14, 19. And he said, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Church, he is the Most High God. He was sovereign in his plans with Abram and Lot. He is above it all. See, I'm taking off self-sufficiency of self-direction in my life. Can I tell you a testimony about what happened in my life? Yes. See, we had a medical decision to make with my wife and I. And it came down to either we had to get Medicaid or we had to have an address that was in the city limits. And considering the last times that I've tried to get Medicaid, we, my initial response was, well, maybe I shouldn't even try then. That was my initial response to any sort of uh, difficulty in what the, the Lord had shown me to do. So what I did, I did what the Lord showed me to do, and I went forward with the decision. And the Lord was good and faithful and gave us Medicaid. Man, the Lord is faithful, and he is the most high God in every single, every single circumstance in our life. Even ones that we think, well, in the past this hasn't worked. There's no way this is going to possibly work. Well, God's most high and he is sovereign in every circumstance in your life. When you stand on the word and you stand on what he told you to do. 
The Lord was the most high in this situation. And in John 5, verse 19, we're going to see something that Christ did. It said, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. See, I'm putting my dependency in Christ. And if Jesus can do what he sees his father doing, I know I can. Practical steps that we can take. Number one, we're going to actually pray about what the Lord wants us to do. We're going to actually take the time and stop and shut up our minds and just ask the Lord what he wants us to do. And he's going to speak because he says, knock and the door will be open to you. Ask, you will receive, right? He says that he'll do it, so he will. First, we're going to ask. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to make our decisions in plural unity with our brothers. We aren't going to be off on our own. We aren't going to decide, well, this is an area that only pertains to me, and I don't need to share this with anybody else because that's the one thing and place in my heart that's actually selfish. We're not going to do that anymore. We're taking off our independence, and we're putting on Christ. Christ is body is unified with each other. We are, we have all been given the mind of Christ. Have you been given the mind of Christ? Well, I can trust my brothers that also have the mind of Christ to help discern my own heart because I'm not good at discerning my own heart. But my brothers are very good at discerning my own heart. So we together can make right decisions. We're going to pray. We're going to seek the Lord and have direction. And we are going to let our brothers in and see what's going on. And we're going to make decisions together. Church, can I say how vital that was in that medical decision? My first reaction was, I'm not even going to try. And then I had a brother come to me and say, no, the Lord moved in our lives in this circumstance. You need to move forward and trust that the Lord's going to move forward. When we have that kind of counseling around us, we can trust our brothers can, you, can I tell you, I trust the Lord more, and I also trust my brothers more after that circumstance. He is faithful when we depend on him. We depend on his word, and we depend on our brothers. So good. God is a warrior. Oh, yeah. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He is the mighty one who saves. Amen? He is strong and loving. He is the God who made men like Zephaniah into a warrior. He is the God who made Samson, Gideon, Benjamin, Mordecai, and Othniel into warriors. He is the God who will make you into a warrior. But what we need to do first is cut off cowardness to say no. Cutting off the cowardice to say no. Luke 13, 32. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus was not afraid to tell the truth. Even if it meant he would die. He cared more about doing God's will than patting someone's ego. I am putting on the resolute tenacity to say yes to the will of God. What do we do with this? 
We must have the willingness to say no to our families and yes to godly direction in their lives. See, I want to tell you something that happened yesterday. I saw my daughter. She was, uh, she was getting a little fussy. And I looked at her and I said, Avi, no. You know what she did? She stopped. You know what I realized? I didn't give her the righteous action that she should do next. So I scooped her up, I picked her up, and I turned her towards joy and life. And she moved towards joy and life. See, we must not just put to death the things in our lives, but we must move towards right action. We must not just do this in our lives, but in our wives and our children's lives. See, this is what I will get to do with my son, Othniel, who's in my wife right now. He will be a warrior, just like the scripture says, because he will see this in us. My family will be the ones who say yes to the will of God. As we come to a closed church, we want you to understand the importance of putting on the character of God that you are fully capable of doing. Why? Because Colossians 2 states it. Our clothing of Christ and our lives will have a direct impact on our family and their ability to clothe themselves in Christ. Look, we're, we're going to turn to our last scripture. It's in Ephesians 5. Jesus is the Messiah. We all, we all know that. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the anointed man, the example for all of us. His Father set him apart as holy for his own purposes. And the Son of God has come to clothe you. He's come to anoint you to do his will. We, we aren't going to continue sitting there sad that we're clothed in our own flesh and not taking it off. We're going to take it off and we're going to put on Christ. We hope you've been encouraged tonight. We hope that you are becoming what Christ is. We hope that you have clear action items that you can take off the old self and become clothed with Christ. But more than anything, our aim has been to inspire you to stand up and clothe your family. You are what they need. Yes. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus gave himself up for the bride. Jesus gave himself up for you. Jesus washed the bride. Jesus washed you. He presented the bride as holy to himself. Anointed men of God, let's stand up. You are becoming who Christ is so that you can do for your family what he's already done for you. If you are godly, then your family will be godly. You're called to wash your bride. You're called to make her holy. And as you draw near to Christ, 
you become like him. And as you draw your family near to you, you inspire them to become like you. To become holy as you are holy. As Christ is holy. As his father is holy. God has made you for this. Mighty King, we lift up your name in this place, God. Lord, we're asking, God, that areas that there are visions that have died, Lord, that you would light those visions on fire, God. Lord, that you would move on the hearts of your church and your people. Lord, that we would be like you. Lord, that we would image you perfectly. And God, that you would revitalize the areas that have been dried and wasted away. God, would you burn in us your vision, God. Your vision for your people. Lord, your vision for our families, God. That you would light us on fire tonight, Lord. Lord, we love you, mighty King, and we worship you in the name of Jesus.